I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, a Ngunnawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. Today, we're bringing you three student-produced stories about a topic close to home, the University of Melbourne itself. It's the third and final episode of Hyperlocal, a series about the big issues impacting small communities in Melbourne. In our first story, Yongxin Yu investigates how AI is making coursework easier for international students and why that isn't necessarily a good thing. I'm in the Bailey Library at the University of Melbourne, one of the busiest student libraries. It's midterm, and practically every student is preoccupied with their assignments. We can notice that many students are employing artificial intelligence programs like ChatGPT or other grammar tools. Du Yuxuan, an art student, let us know how she feels about utilizing assistive tools. Yes, I will use translation software. As English is not my native language, the primary body of the text is still my writing. But it also incorporates Somi editing software to help me make the sentence flow more smoothly. Academic misconduct, in my opinion, is primarily about not being your academic work, followed by stealing and plagiarism, and so on. However, I believe that employing AI is a form of auxiliary tool. It is merely a tool that will assist you in improving your academic work. AI simplifies our lives in a variety of ways. Many students embrace it. Nevertheless, some oppose it. Pan Wenhan and Li Shaozi have contrasting opinions on this topic. I believe it is appropriate for some students to take advantage to achieve better grades. Why wouldn't you like it? As assignments, I believe, are one of the most essential measurements of the academic competence for art students like us. If we are unable to write an essay by exploring and reading the literature on our own, the point of writing is gone. The University of Melbourne has deployed a new tool that identifies material written by ChatGPT. Dr. Teresa Desenayak is very supportive. That's very good because every time any laws, regulations are imposed whenever necessary. New technologies, new steps are taken. We need to tell people, without punishing people, we need to tell them. So it's a good policy. However, the particular requirements of the new policy are relatively ambiguous. Some students claimed on the internet that they have been misinterpreted, that their papers have been produced by AI, even though they had not used the ChatGPT at all. Du Yuxuan voiced her concern. Because the school's policy is not very clear, it does not indicate that translation software or any other program cannot be used. I believe we will simply be hoping for a clear explanation from the school. Is it also forbidden to use retouching software? Is translation software also prohibited? If translation software is not available, writing an essay becomes a very difficult task for me. 
It can be challenging for some students who speak English as a second language to complete a dissertation entirely in English. On this, Dr. Charissa Disanayak expresses his opinion. It is better students can improve their language skills while using the translator for small things, but not in their academic writings. If there is an artistic writing, you need to represent yourself. You deserve a punishment if you using unnecessary support from artificial intelligence. That was Zhang Xinyu. Next, Noshin Li reports on the campaign to reopen a beloved campus institution, the Ida Bar. The bar, which was part of the old student union building, was forced to close last December when the union was relocated. I'm standing at the old union house where the Adaba was located before its closure. The once lively bar is now deserted, devoid of the light-hearted music that used to fill the air. Dijarat, a stakeholder of the Adaba, expresses disappointment about its forced shutdown. Omsu has been relocated from Union House to the new student precinct. We found out that there was no plans to relocate the Ida Bar, but instead an invitation to join a commercial tender process. And we're still waiting to find out what the results of that process is. So, yeah, there's a lot of frustration from us. The school's abrupt decision to close the Ida Bar has had a significant impact on the bar business. Unfortunately, we had to lose our staff because we had no bar for them to work in. And obviously, all the stock we currently have in the old Ida Bar. I'm not privy to the reasons why the university rather than allocate the space to a commercial process. The Ida Bar was a popular on-campus spot, renowned for its affordable meals and inclusive environment. The forced closure of the Ida Bar has sparked outrage among students who have launched a campaign to request its reopening. The petition began in 2022 and gained momentum in April this year. The petitions at about 1,400 students. We kind of had space to pick up that promotion again just recently to let people know we are receiving hundreds of emails and direct messages from students saying, where's the Ida Bar? Older staff members at the Ida Bar were students at the University of Melbourne. Kiara Griffiths worked at the bar for nearly four years. She made many friends and formed strong emotional connections during her time there. The closure of the Edaba has affected her and many of her former colleagues. I was friends with a few of the staff members. Some of them have really struggled for employment after the Ada closure. There's a lot of anxiety amongst the staff about if it will reopen again, if they'll be able to return to their job, because the opportunity to work somewhere on campus is really valuable and most of them were students. So that loss of uh, job security, I guess, is hard for anyone. And it was based, made for the students, and it was made by the students. So, yeah, I am a little bit obsessed with it. <laughs> Jamie Chung, a frequent patron of the Edaba, hopes that the university will consider reopening the bar. For him, the on-campus bar had a special role beyond entertaining. I would like to get to know my lecturers a bit more on a personal level. But that couldn't be done normally in a lecture room. I find Idaba would be a great place. The University of Melbourne has not yet responded to the closure of the Idaba and student petition. It remains uncertain what the future holds for this on-campus store. That was Noshin Lee. 
In today's final story, Renren Zhang reports on the most recent edition of the Student Union's annual night market. I am on the concrete hill located at the University of Melbourne, where an event called Night Market is taking place. It is 5 p.m. and there are long queues on both sides of the entrance. There are over 10 white tents selling different drinks and foods scattered across the square and the lawn. Colorful lights are projected from the stage onto the square, and balloons, streamers, and posters are everywhere. The small lawn is almost full of people, many of whom were watching the show with food in their hands, including Chen Weishi and her friends with a plate of cake. Uh, this is from the Malaysia、uh, store and milk tea from the Thai Student Association. Are you guys enjoy this food? Yes, of yes. course. But the food was not to everyone's satisfaction. Wen Xingliu said,、uh, "Actually, I'm very disappointed with this kind of activity. And all the food, to be honest, is not that delicious. Like the cake, I paid like twenty-four、uh, dollars, but it's already get dry. It's it's not that juicy." Wen Xin said that not only the quality of the food, but also the order of the site was not controlled at all, and she encountered a lot of queue jumping and disorderly queuing. It's too crowded here. They ask people to book a ticket in advance, but it's useless. They welcome every people, no matter you got a ticket or not. Many customers are queuing up in front of the booths selling kaya toast, fish bowls, and yuzu lemonade. The booth manager Sean. Told us how they prepared for the event. So it took us planning-wise. It took us around two and a half weeks to plan everything because we wanted to really take our time and make sure everything was done properly. Shum also said that even if a lot of preparation was done in advance, but the number of students who came to participate was too much than expected. In addition to receiving each customer, it is difficult for them to divide their energy to manage other things. Yolanda, a staff member who participated in organizing the event, I think it's hard, hard to coordinate everyone because there's a lot of people volunteering, so it's hard to like coordinate. Said they needed to contact the person in charge of each booth before the event and follow up on the progress of each booth while recruiting volunteers. Which made it difficult to ensure the actual preparation and quality of each booth. The event lasted from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. The music and performances continuing. A large event always requires thorough consideration by the organizer, and it is a test for every event organizer to provide a better experience for the audience as much as possible within their capacity. That was Runren Zhang. A massive thank you to Yongxin, Nuoxin, and Runren. The yarn is from the Center for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This episode was produced and edited by me. It was mastered by Elliot Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week.